we continue this afternoon in our study of the Gospel of John, we'll be in the 13th chapter, looking at verses 31 to 38. If you uh, are using one of those blue pew Bibles, um, you will find this on page 900. So here's John 13, 31 to 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of God. Have a seat. Well, before we come to this passage, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have given your people um, many commands. We're looking this afternoon at this new commandment uh, that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us. Uh, Another of the commands that often stops us and makes us say, how can we even begin to do it, um, is when the Apostle Paul tells us that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice uh, and weep with those who weep. And this is a day um, when we find ourselves challenged by this very thing. Um, It is, on the one hand, a day set aside uh, to remember our mothers. And so we rejoice. Uh, We rejoice. We give you thanks for our mothers, Uh, for those who have uh, literally borne us into this world physically, um, and for those uh, that you have called to be mothers spiritually uh, in your church. Uh, we are grateful that there are many uh, in this midst, in, in our midst, in this church. Um, we weep with those who weep. We weep with those uh, for whom motherhood, or the desire for motherhood, um, or the desire for a mother, has been intended by loss, uh, by abuse, by pain, uh, or simply by long labors. Uh, on our knees uh, as we pray for and over uh, the children that you have have given us. Father, we can't begin uh, to uh, see into the depths uh, as as you can, but we pray uh, that those who labor in this way or who grieve uh, would not do so alone. We are thankful that in your word we find promises uh, made 
to those whom the world has called barren. Um, those whom the world have, have, have cast aside promises that, that there would be a day when by your grace uh, you would give children. Um, and that those whom the world have, have, has called barren would look around and would say, where did these come from? Whose are these? Um, Father, we pray, uh, both giving thanks, rejoicing, uh, and also weeping. Father, at the same time, motherhood has been in the news this week as the news that have emanated uh, from the Supreme Court in the past week again give us, on the one hand, cause to rejoice. Lord, we pray unapologetically uh, for a full end to abortion in this country, in the world. Um, you are a God of life. And Father, we pray uh, that the lives of those uh, whom we have not known, but whom you made in your image, would be protected, would be defended. Um, at the same time, we weep. Uh, we weep over what has happened uh, in our country these past uh, 50 years, legally. Um, but of course, for so much longer than that. Father, we weep alongside of those whom abortion has directly uh, impacted. Father, we know that the devil would like nothing more than to trumpet the lie uh, that says it cannot be redeemed. It's too much. Too much damage has been done at a personal level, at a family level, at a national level. Father, we are grateful uh, that because of who you are, primarily because we confess a risen and ascended Savior who brings life from death and creates out of nothing. Um, it is a lie. We pray, Father, that you would redeem the years uh, that the locusts have eaten. Um, as we come to this passage where Jesus gives us a command to love as he loved, perhaps there's nothing more pertinent that we could pray for with regard to this very issue as we think about how it impacts ourselves and our friends and our neighbors and, uh, and the world uh, that we live in. Jesus was uh, astounding in his zeal um, for the most vulnerable, uh, for those who had been kicked aside, um, for those who were weighted down with sin. It was amazing to see him simultaneously call everyone to repentance and yet to treat everyone with the dignity and the honor appropriate to those who bear your image. Father, help us. Um, give us wisdom as we speak, both in person and online with others. Um, Father, give us grace. Um, Father, keep us on our knees that we would continue uh, to pray and to look to you uh, for the wisdom uh, that we lack. Father, you have said that your word is the way that you shape our hearts, um, that you cut to the joint and to the marrow, 
um, that your word is living and active. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, um, that you would now do that work uh, as we look at this gospel. Um, I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week, uh, Sunday morning, we had the second uh, of our leadership development uh, sessions, both for those who have been nominated for office, but also for several folks in the church uh, who are leading in other capacities um, across various ministries. Um, I know announcements are over, but I will say we're only two sessions in. There is still time uh, to join in. We've got about eight more. Um, last week, what we talked about was the mission of the church. What is this thing that we call the church? What is it called to do? That is a huge topic. There are lots of books uh, written about this. We spent time talking about um, serving God in worship uh, and in the way we nurture each other and in the ways that we bear witness uh, to the world. Um, if you ask me to distill the mission of the church down to just one concept, just one, one succinct thing, um, I would go to the end of Matthew's gospel. I would go to the Great Commission where Jesus sends out his disciples and says, make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Um, making disciples, that's still a huge topic, all the ways that that would play out. Um, how we would, uh, those of us who become Jesus' disciples would um, increasingly grow uh, in maturity to look more like him and, and how that would, would, would play itself out. Um, but here in this passage, uh, Jesus tells us something really key about what it means to be his disciples. So this is a key central passage for uh, thinking about what the mission of the church is. Here he says, um, in sort of the, the central verse of this passage, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that, that idea has marked the church since its very beginning. So some of the very earliest church fathers um, wrote letters in which they reported that those who looked at the church from the outside remarked, look at the way that they love each other. Look at the way that they're willing to sacrifice. Look at the way they're even willing to die for one another. Um, that was a way that the church was known. Um, now, before we dive into uh, what this text says. I do, I do want to make one important point about what this text does not say. Um, I have a tendency to read this, and at least implicitly in my head, I have a tendency to read, love one another, and by this, everyone will just be so impressed with you. Uh, you will be so popular. They're going to love you. It's going to be awesome. Um, and that is not what Jesus says. What he says is, by your love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. And elsewhere in this gospel, um, he's been pretty clear that that does not mean that the world will love you. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, they have hated me, and they're going to hate you as well. Um, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So I want us to realize as we go into this, as we look at what it means to love one another 
as Jesus loved us and to do so in a way that will mark us as his disciples. Um, that does not mean that our lives are going to get easier. At times it might make them harder. And we'll be asking for the grace uh, to understand that uh, and to live faithfully uh, in, in light of that. Um, what we see in this passage is that to be Jesus' disciple means three things. On the one hand, it means that we love as he loved. And we'll spend most of our time on that first point. That's kind of the center of this, of this passage. But it means two other things. It also means that we go where he goes. And lastly, uh, it means that we seek glory where he sought glory. Or, or if I could use the old English, we sometimes sing that song, God forbid that I should glory. Um, save in the cross, save in God's redeeming love. Um, and the use of that verb, or the, the use of glory as a, a verb. I might say we, we glory where Jesus glories. That's the third thing. So let's take a look. To be Jesus' disciples means we love as he loved, we go where he goes, we glory where he glories. Um, first of all, loving as he loved. Um, it is a fitting thing that Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment um, here at this, at this stage. Um, we're at the same meal, we're at the same event where he inaugurates the new covenant, right? He's, he's going to lift up a cup. He's going to say, this cup is the new and everlasting covenant in my blood. Right, so it is that thing that all of the ceremonies, the sacrifices, especially the Passover meal, all of that was pointing at now this new reality, this new covenant that Jeremiah promised. That's what's being inaugurated. The thing about covenants in the Bible is that they are always connected to commandments. Um, every place that God is, uh, makes a covenant with his people, he always says, here's what I have done for you. Okay, here's the story so far. Here's how I have cared for you and how I've saved you. And then in light of that, here's how we're going to relate to each other. And there are commands. So it is a, it is a fitting thing. And in some ways, it's a mark of Jesus' authority that he's able to stand at this table and inaugurate a new covenant and give a new commandment. But you say, what's so new about this? Haven't we heard about love before? We've heard before love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. We've heard, love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, what's new here is that Jesus says, love as I have loved you. Um, that is new, uh, and that is radical. Because think about how it is um, that Jesus has loved us. It is a, a long-suffering love. Again, I, I love the way verse 13, sorry, chapter 13 starts. Jesus, uh, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It is a long-suffering, patient love. It is an enemy-loving love. It is a love that brings Jesus to wash his disciples' feet, even the feet of the one who betrayed him, even of Judas, who we looked at last week. It is a love that will send Jesus to the cross. Um, as I listened to Bradley's sermon last week, and as he talked about the anatomy of betrayal and of what was going on in Judas's heart, even just here in, in the text that we have, um, as he was talking about the coldness 
um, that would bear a grudge and, and the callousness that would say, I just don't care. And the calculatedness that would say, it does not matter what you do, I have written you off. Um, it occurred to me that one way to think about Jesus' love is simply that it is the complete, total, polar opposite of those things. That in his love for us, there is no coldness. There is no callousness. There is no calculatedness. There is no point um, at which he writes us off. No point uh, at which he, he doesn't care. Um, at that point, um, I start to get a little uncomfortable. Um, and we'll come before we're done here today to the resources that we would have to think about how could this be possible? How could we actually love the way that Jesus loves? I, I start to get uncomfortable because it's not hard for me to answer the question, where am I cold? Where am I, where am I callous? Um, those things spring readily to mind. Um, and so it leads me to ask, how? Um, how could that be changed? Uh, you might ask yourself, how could this change in, in your heart? And, and we'll try to answer that before we're done uh, today. Um, but I do want to point out one other aspect uh, of what it means to love as Jesus loved. Um, this had not occurred to me uh, before discussions I was having this week, um, which is why I love preparing to preach a sermon in the midst of the life of the church. You know, this is, this is never just an academic exercise. Um, this is always a, 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 a living thing done in and with God's people. Um, this week I was having a discussion about the full humanity of Christ, right? And about our tendency to um, come up short in really thinking about him as being a fully human being. Um, we were talking a little bit, I don't know if you've seen this show, The Chosen, which is a depiction of the life of Jesus. And, and plenty of folks have criticized this show because in order to dramatize the life of Jesus, it, it does have to add a whole bunch of material, right? It fills out the story with stuff that's not in the Bible. Um, fair enough, right? The series should not be taken as being a substitute for reading the Gospels. Like, don't use it that way. But one thing that this show has done very well is to depict Jesus as a guy that you could get to know, uh, someone that has a distinct personality. Um, Jesus being fully human means he had a distinct, specific sense of humor. Like there were things that he thought were really funny. Um, he had a favorite food. I have no idea what it was. Um, he had a, a distinct way of, of walking. I read uh, somewhere this week, apparently the way that I walk, the way that you walk, um, is as unique to me, as unique to you, as my fingerprint. So if you had seen Jesus, come, you know, sometimes you see someone coming up and catch them out of the corner of your eye, and you can kind of tell who it is just by the way they're moving. Like, you would have been able to do that with Jesus. Here's what I want you to think about. When Jesus says to these men, who have spent every day of the last three years with him, getting to know him, um, when he says, love as I have loved you, that had a specificity to it. That had a particularity. Um, 
that we have a hard time getting our heads around. Um, it, it would have been like, it would have been like me saying to you, you know, think about the ways that Monica has loved one of you. Um, you know, think about the ways that Ryan has loved one of you. Uh, you know, think about the ways that Eleni has loved you, right? I could keep going, right? Think about the ways that we have loved each other in these specific and particular ways because we know each other. They would have been hearing that. So if we're going to love as Jesus loved, we have to get to know him. Are you doing that? Even though Jesus is not with us, he has ascended to the Father, and so he is not bodily with us anymore. We don't know what his favorite food was. I don't know how he walked. Um, but he has not left us alone. He has sent us his spirit. Uh, he has given us his word. He's given us each other. He's given us opportunities to pray, and especially to pray together. This is where corporate prayer can be so important, where you hear other people speaking to Jesus, praying to him, and interact with Jesus through other people uh, in, in the body. Um, there's this verse that Bradley and I have been kicking around a lot as we've been discussing this passage. I don't, I don't think this has made it into a sermon yet, but let me read this. This is from 2 Corinthians 3, 3.18. It says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Spirit. Uh, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That as we seek Jesus' face, we begin to look more like him. So that our life together becomes one of the ways that we get to know Jesus and get to know what it means to be loved by him and to have our brothers and sisters be loved by him so that we in turn can follow this command to love uh, as Jesus uh, has, has loved. Um, Jesus makes knowing him of such paramount importance um, he has said repeatedly, if you see me, you're seeing the Father. To know me is to know the Father. And in John 17, he's going to say this. He's going to say, this is eternal life, that they know you. He's praying here. So he's praying to his Father. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There's not much that could be more important. So the question is, how are you pursuing intimacy? How are you getting to know Jesus? Are you spending time in his word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time praying with other people uh, in the body? Um, to the end that we would learn how to love uh, the way uh, that, he, that he loves. Jesus tells us that loving as he has loved is key to being one of his disciples. There are two other things that we see in this passage. Um, one of them is that we go where he goes. Uh, we do what he says. Um, and interestingly, in this passage, of course, what we hear uh, is Jesus' words to Peter, that he's not yet ready to go where he goes, that he can't yet go where he goes. It's interesting that Peter kind of, when he hears Jesus say, uh, where I'm going, you cannot come, um, Jesus then gives this new commandment. Peter just skips right over that 
says, wait a minute, what do you mean? What was that thing about I can't go where you're going? Um, what do you mean? Um, and Jesus says to him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, uh, but you will. You will follow me afterward. Something's going to change. Um, you know, it's worth pointing out in thinking about what, what Jesus is talking about here. It's worth pointing out that, um, you know, we think about Peter, uh, you know, impetuously saying, I would be willing to lay down my life for you. Um, there is a sense in which he was. I mean, you remember in, in, in some of the Gospels, when that crowd comes to arrest Jesus, Peter draws his sword. Um, he's ready to fight. That was a risky thing. That could have gotten him arrested. It could have gotten him killed. Um, but then Jesus tells him to put his sword away. So that, that's not how we're going to do it. And, and that's where he's really thrown. He's, he's, he seems to be in some ways willing to lay down his life in a way that involves violence. But beyond that, he has no idea what to do. And then, later, when he's asked, aren't you one of his disciples? Didn't I see you with him earlier? That's when he denies it. He says, no. No, I don't know him. I've never met him. And I have to think, at that point, that, that is when Satan would want to get a hold of Peter's heart and say, you see, you see what a failure you are. Um, we know that Satan wanted to do that. We know that from Jesus' own words. Um, in uh, same story, different gospel, in Luke 22, um, right at the same point in the, in the, in the Last Supper, um, Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Um, and it's at that point that Peter protests that he's willing to go to prison, willing to die. It's right at the same moment. Um, here's what's interesting. When Jesus says Satan demanded to have you, to sift you, the word you there is plural. So Jesus is talking to Peter, but he's talking about all of them. Um, Satan has asked to sift all of you. What we saw last week when we looked at Judas, was the horrifying, tragic reality that Jesus, that Satan, excuse me, that Satan was able to sift out Judas. Um, even to the point that when Judas takes the morsel, it says Satan entered into him, and he went out, and it was night. The terrifying thing there is that there's no indication that Satan possesses Judas. There's no indication that Judas ever loses his agency or does anything that he doesn't want to do, hasn't decided to do. Um, Satan would love to play on the same dynamic with, with Peter, to bring him to the same despair, to say, look, you've betrayed your Lord just like Judas did. So what's the difference? What's the change, right? Why is it that instead Jesus is able to say, you may not be able to go with me now, but one day you will. There is a change coming uh, in you. What is it 
uh, that Peter was, would, would be able to see. And I want to stop, and, and, and I mean, this is precisely the place where um, I feel the stakes um, of what Bradley said last week. Like, this is precisely where I am uncomfortable um, with being warned against coldness um, and callousness, uh, against writing people off. Um, again, it is, it is not hard for me to answer those questions about where is that at work in me. And what's troubling about it, and where I need a lot of encouragement from the gospel, um, is the fact that that kind of coldness and that callousness, it gets woven so deeply into us that it begins to feel not so much like something that we're doing as like something that we are. And so to be told simply, don't do that. You know, just change that. Stop bearing that grudge. You say, how? How do I fix my heart with a broken heart, with one that's not working properly? Um, this is where we need this last piece, that to be Jesus' disciple uh, is not only to love as he loved and to go where he goes, but also to glory where he glories, uh, to look where he looked uh, for glory. Um, by now you know what I'm talking about. We've, we've, we've said this many, many times in the course of the Gospel of John, that when Jesus talks about his glory in this Gospel, he's talking about the cross. Um, this is why I went back, in, it, it back into last week's text to go to verses 31 and 32. Um, Jesus says, as soon as Judas leaves, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Um, Jesus has also said that now is the judgment of this world, right? So he spent the entire gospel saying, it's not time yet, it's not the hour yet, but now finally, at the end, he says, now. Now is the time. In chapter 12, 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world and here he says, now is the Son of Man glorified. Uh, earlier in, in John 3, remember you spoke about judgment this way. He said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So you put all that together. You put all that together and you ask, all right, so what time is it? What is it that Peter is going to see? What does he need to see uh, that's going to spare him from the despair uh, that Satan was able to work into Judas's heart. It is time for darkness to be exposed. Peter needs to see the darkness in his own heart. But it is also time for the glory. It is time to finally see just how impotent the darkness is against the light. It's time to finally see what it means that as the light comes into the world, the darkness cannot overcome it. What I want us to consider as we draw this to a close is, is, is it's actually the same place that we ended last week. Um, when we look at God's glory displayed on the cross, we are seeing the shared and unanimous love of the triune God 
of a father who loved the world so much to send his son, of a son who was obedient, to go where that father called him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and what we are seeing uh, is a love of a God who died for every sin that we have committed and every sin that we will commit. Um, when Peter looks at Jesus on the cross, he sees him there dying for him hours after he betrayed him, hours after his Lord's words were proved true, that he would deny him. And he has to know in that moment, that means that Jesus went to the cross knowing what I was going to do. Um, this is what Bradley said last week. I will simply say it again because it's so important. Uh, if you are a young person, the day is going to come when you commit the sin that you never thought you could commit. If you are an older person, you may already have done that. Uh, or uh, it still may be coming. You may surprise yourself again. But the crucial thing is that you will not surprise God. You, you will not do anything that will deter God from loving you. You cannot do anything to make him love you less because he already knew. Um, and so what that means is that when Satan whispers the lie into your ear uh, that says, this is the one, this is too much, this, this is the point at which God cannot fix this, cannot forgive this, cannot accept you, you can turn to him and you can simply say, Satan, thank you, because you have shown me one more thing. You've shown me something I couldn't even imagine that my Savior died for. You've shown me one more thing that he took on his shoulders. All you have done is you have made him appear that much more amazing, that much stronger as my Savior. And if you can do that, then Satan's got nothing. He's utterly disarmed. And the glory will appear all the brighter. And then we will be ready to follow him. Can we pray to that end before we come to this table? Let's do that.